Turn to Genesis 26. Verses 1 through 17. Hear God's holy word. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands, And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped. In the same year, a hundredfold, the Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug. In the days of Abraham, his father, and Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And here is the reading of God's holy word. In the previous passage, we had a a quick um, glimpse ahead to Jacob and Esau. And now, uh, here in Genesis 26, our attention is turned back to Isaac. And uh, it's kind of a familiar story, isn't it? We see that Isaac was a lot like his father, Abraham. And that's not all good, because he makes some of the very same mistakes that Abraham did. Commits some of the same sins. 
as his father. In the first six verses, we're told that uh, Isaac went to sojourn in the land of Gerar, and there's a famine, just like with Abraham. A famine uh, came and tested uh, the faith of uh, this younger patriarch. His faith in the Lord was put to the test by this, just as uh, Abraham's was. As Christians, this issue is an issue for us as well. It's the issue of security, where our security comes from. We need to know where it comes from. It comes from the Lord and Him alone. Our circumstances change. Things going on in our lives uh, will change, but God never changes. He remains faithful. And we will be saved from so much trouble and so much grief if we will remember this, remember his faithfulness, and keep our trust in him. He's worthy of that. Well, how did Isaac respond to this trial? He responded by going to look for greener pastures. But God appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. Now, as far as we know, this is the first time that the Lord spoke to Isaac. He confirms his promises to Isaac. Uh, the old promise of the covenant, he restates them like he did over and over again with Abraham. He also gives Isaac very clear instructions on what he wants him to do right then and there. He gave him a command, command that required faith to obey. We talked about that relation between faith and obedience this morning. And here, Isaac needed faith to obey God in this, this command that he gave him. And the command was this. God said, do not go down to Egypt. He wants him to stay there in that land of Gerar. It's interesting that both Abraham and Isaac faced this same challenge, the same test of their faith, famine. And both had the same reaction. They both were tempted to leave the promised land, to try to find uh, greener pastures, a safer place, a place where there would be security where there would be um, uh, a greater likelihood to find the provision that they needed. Abraham, of course, did go to Egypt. And it looks like Isaac was doing that very thing. It seems he was on his way, but God stopped him in his tracks. And God made it very clear he did not want him to go down to Egypt. He wanted him uh, to stay put right there and to trust in him for his needs. He gave him a promise. He said, I will be with you. I will bless you. And that is that great, great promise of Scripture that we find over and over throughout Scripture. This is the, uh, the core promise of Scripture. Circumstances here are very threatening, but God says, don't be afraid. I am with you. I am with you. I will take care of you. That's exactly what this man needed to hear. That's what we need to hear as well. Don't ever get tired of hearing that promise in Scripture. That is what we need 
more than anything. We have to live in this world that is full of trials, full of challenges, full of tests of our faith. And we need to live in this world, in this dark world, by faith in the Lord. And to do that, we need to know that God is with us. And we need to know, secondly, what he says here, that he will bless us. He's with us, and he will bless us. It's true for us that God is with us, and not just in the sense that he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. He certainly is that, but he's with us in a special way. He's with us in union and communion because we belong to him in Christ. We have God's presence at all times, and we have his presence even within us. We have his favor resting upon us because of his son, because of faith in his son, our union with Christ through faith. God is committed to be with us and to abide with us and in us and to bless us, to protect us, to provide for us all that we need. He promises to be for us, our God, our provider, our helper. He will be with you. You will be with him forever because of the work of his son. We have his presence even now, and we will have it to the full, unhindered, then when we see the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to believe this. Believe that he's with us. That makes a great difference in our lives. It makes a great difference when we're going through those pressures and those very, very difficult, fiery trials in life that come upon us. He's with us in the midst of those. Kent Hughes writes, it's one thing to theologically affirm that God is omnipresent, It's quite another to have it really dominate and to inform us day in and day out. To embrace the the sure knowledge that God is really present, specially present, to bless us and to protect us. What a difference that makes in our lives. Recognizing God's presence in your life crushes the temptation to compromise. God's presence puts our fears to flight. It instills confidence and courage. Indeed, it does. If we believe that he is present with us, it really can change everything. Knowing that you live each moment of your lives before God's face under his perfect care can help you in so many ways. Don't let God's omnipresence just be a doctrine that you affirm intellectually. Live in it. Really believe it. Enjoy it. Take great comfort and joy in the knowledge that he is with you. Look at this command to Isaac. He told him to stay in Gerar, And then he goes on, he reiterates all those uh, promises to give the land to his descendants. But the command, kind of a doozy, to stay there in Gerar, to stay there, uh, the place where the famine was. If it wasn't there yet, it surely would be. Think about that. To the natural mind, that's not a good idea. 
That's a bad idea. That was to invite disaster. That was to invite loss, all kinds of losses, maybe losses of your family members, uh, losses of your livestock. The odds were much better down in Egypt. Surely safety and provision would be found there in well-watered Egypt with the Nile running right through it. Not only that, but Isaac would be taking other risks if he stayed put in Gerar. He was a foreigner there. He had no real standing there. Who knows how he would be treated by the locals? Who knows how his family would be treated? He would be totally dependent on God for provision and protection. Of course, that's exactly the point. That's exactly what God wanted. That's right where he wanted this man to be. A little scary, but that's exactly where God wanted him to be. Has the Lord ever put you in a spot like that where you have no choice but to trust him to help you? That's how he wants us to learn to live. He doesn't want us to be thinking up where the best odds are for us, where things will go the best for us, and coming up with plans to escape from our trials. We're prone to do that. We want a way out of trouble. We want to go where it's easier. But he wants us to learn to depend on him for his grace, for his help, for his protection, for his provision. He wants you to believe that he's with you right in the midst of those things. Well, Isaac obeyed. He stayed there in Gerar. And we think, all right, good job, Isaac. Way to go. Maybe he'll do better than Abraham, because Abraham did go down to Egypt. Well, it's not really all rosy for Isaac here. Look at verse 7. And the men of that place asked about his wife. He said, she's my sister. He was afraid to say she's my wife, thinking that the men of the place would kill him because of his wife and her beauty. It should sound familiar, because that's exactly what Abraham did. He's fallen into the exact same trap, pitfall uh, of fear that Abraham had fallen into. Shouldn't come as a big surprise because God's people, we're uh, always faced with temptations like this, temptations to be fearful, temptations to doubt God, to doubt his protection, to doubt his provision, to forget his presence. Both Abraham and Isaac doubted God's care, and they took matters into their own hands, and they took these foolish steps to try to protect themselves. One minute Isaac is uh, obeying God and trusting his promise, and the next thing, it's like he's forgotten God. He's acting like an atheist, like God isn't even there, like God isn't even real in his life. He's got to find a way to protect himself. Take this crazy step to do that. Fear of man overtakes him. Lies. He puts his wife at risk. Puts her purity at risk. Puts the covenant line at risk. Like his father had done. It's sad when you think about it because God had just spoken to this man. And it wasn't long ago. It was very recent. That's the heart of man. Sinful and Faith that is so weak. We're so prone, even as believers, to slip right back into unbelief. Patterns of unbelief. Humbling. 
to see this. It's humbling to know that this is us, but it's good to see this. It's a good warning for us to see Isaac take a tumble like this, that him who stands take heed lest he fall. We should be very careful about overestimating ourselves and our faith. As long as you live, you're going to struggle with your faith. You're going to struggle to believe God, to trust him. There's never going to be a time when you can say, I'm past that. I've made it. I've got this. I don't need to worry about falling into doubt or fear anymore. What happened to Isaac here is not unusual. We are beset with the same weakness. We're just as weak as him. So we should be very humble. We should look to the Lord to sustain our faith, to strengthen our faith, to keep us from falling into to those doubting, unbelieving patterns of life. Well, Isaac uh, pulled it off. He pulled off this deception. He tells this lie, and they bought it, but it didn't last for long. In verse 8, we read, when Isaac had been there, well, I guess it did last a little while, a long time. He'd been there. Sometime Abimelech saw him and Rebekah together laughing, the text says. The idea is they, they looked intimate. He saw this. He saw them probably showing a little too much affection toward each other. And he goes and confronts Isaac about it. He realizes he's been, uh, been lied to. And he asks him, why, Isaac? Why did you lie to us? Isaac hesitantly confesses his sin. And Abimelech rebukes him for it. He says, what have you done to us? One of the men might have slept with your wife. Then you would have brought guilt upon us. He was right to rebuke him. Isaac was very wrong to do this. His wife should have rebuked him. He should have never done this. But Abimelech certainly was right to let him have it. It's a really sad scene, though. Abimelech looks more righteous than this patriarch. This pagan rebukes the man who's supposed to know God. We can learn from this. We need to learn from this. Think about this unbeliever who is rebuking the believer. Unbelievers pay attention to the lives of believers. When you sin, it will probably be noticed by someone. You may know somebody in your family or your friends who is an unbeliever and doesn't want anything to do with the Lord or church, doesn't want to hear anything you have to say about Christ, maybe because of some sin that they saw in the life of a professing believer way back when. It happens a lot. God's name is blasphemed among the people of the world because of the bad conduct of people who claim to be Christians. God is either glorified or he is reviled because of how we live as believers. Something for us to really take to heart. I don't know about you, but it makes me want to be careful. It makes me want to live a godly life. First of all, to please the Lord, but also to not give anyone a reason to stumble. God help us. It's ironic that this pagan king is the one who rebukes Isaac for his sin, not only does he do that, then he does something good here. He establishes a plan 
um, to protect them, to protect Isaac and Rebekah. He told all his people, he gives orders, whoever touches this man or his wife will surely be put to death. Imagine that, the death penalty for anyone who hurts them. It's quite, a, quite an order that this godless king gives to protect this family, this covenant family. And of course, this isn't really just about Abimelech and him doing something good. This is the Lord. This is God, his providence playing out. This is God proving exactly what he said before. He is with Isaac. He's taking care of him, even despite his doubt, despite his unbelief, despite his thinking he needs to take care of himself. Here's the Lord taking care of him, even through this pagan. God wasn't just protecting them, of course. His promises were at stake. He's protecting the line of promise, the line by which he would one day bring his own son into the world to save sinners. You see the faithfulness of God here. What a great, faithful God he is. Isaac was coming to know him, but he had just barely scratched the surface of knowing this great God. He and his father before him served. You know, the same is true for us. He is so great and glorious in all his ways. This God, he is more wise and wonderful than any of us could possibly imagine. We're barely scratching the surface of getting to know him. He's so perfectly faithful and so worthy of all our trust. And we can barely trust him and we barely love him, right? That's the truth. We barely love this wonderful, altogether lovely God. We barely trust him compared to how we should, how he deserves to be trusted. Thank you. See here how gracious he is too, though. He's so gracious to Isaac here. He doesn't treat Isaac the way his sins deserve, and he doesn't treat us as our sins. You see how he so kindly just keeps on taking care of Isaac, being present in his life, and blessing him despite his sin. And we see that as the passage continues in verses 12 to 14 here. God blessed Isaac. Here again, it's his promise. He says, I'm going to bless you. Look at how he blessed him right there in the midst of that famine. Read verses 12 to 14 again. Pay attention. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. You got to take that in. That's amazing. This man was amazingly blessed by God, richly blessed, and all those blessings came right in the middle of that famine. When the other farmers were barely surviving, they were struggling just to, just to uh, subsist. Isaac reaps a hundredfold and his livestock multiply and reproduce like crazy, and he becomes very rich. Clearly, the rich blessing of God. God 
kept his promise. He was with him. Then we're told the Philistines were jealous. They envied him, and what did they do? They stopped up all his wells that he had inherited from Abraham. On top of that, Abimelech told him to leave, get out of here. So he did. Think about those losses of those wells. And then to be sent away, he had to go. And he did go. Yet he was supremely blessed by God. But that didn't mean his life was trouble-free. See that here? His life was not trouble-free. Those were big losses. To be sent away like that, he had problems. This is how it is for God's people. God blesses us richly. He blesses us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He blesses us with temporal blessings. We are supremely blessed but there are also always trials and hardships that we must go through. When you're facing those troubles or trials, don't think that that means the Lord is displeased with you or the Lord is punishing you for your sin or that he's removed his favor from you. We see these very same kinds of things here. Rich blessing and struggles and troubles at the same time. And God uses those struggles and those troubles and those trials in beautiful ways in our lives. He does what is best for his glory and for our good and for our growth in godliness. And you need to realize, if you haven't yet, that trials are a big part of God's wise plan to do us good. A big part of the way that the Lord works good in our lives. He does it through bad things, through hard things. So we should give thanks for the blessings, but by faith, we should also give thanks for the hard things, for the trials, the problems, because through them, God will bless you and he will use you in ways that he couldn't otherwise. And through them, he's preparing you for a place where there will be no more trials. Let the blessings and the trials point you to that place, to our heavenly promised land. And until we get there, let's continue living by faith, trusting in our great and faithful God in every circumstance worthy of that trust. So much more than we even know. Pray. Our Lord and our God, we, we love you. and We love your word. And we thank you so much for your blessed holy presence. We pray that you'd strengthen our faith to believe that you are always with us. And you are blessing us even through the struggles and trials of our lives. Keep us from falling back into those patterns of unbelief like we see here in this passage. Strengthen our faith. We pray that you'd guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We ask it all in his name.